from the Mercy One Studio. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano is in session. And good Thursday morning from the Mercy One Studios in West Des Moines. I'm Deacon Mike Mano, and along with me is Gina Noll. How are you this morning, Gina? Good morning. As I'm, I'm tripping I'm over well. my tongue here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, um, we, we, we had a, rush, a little rush this morning. We had some conversations going on in here. So That's right. I we think did. we uh, can get focused now. And Did we solve all the problems yes, in the universe now? No. All I right. feel like we never have enough time for that. No, no. Well, uh, I noticed this week in the news, it, we, they're talking about uh, less than uh, 50 days for the election. Right. And um, it seems to be our focus each week. Mm-hmm. And we celebrated the um, Our Lady of Sorrows. Our Lady of Sorrows, right. And, you know, day. our patron saint is the defender of, of our faith, mm-hmm. uh, St. Michael the Archangel. But I really believe that uh, our Mary of Sorrows can also be effective with the stories that we, you know, we never see. How do the how do we get out of this mess? How does faith um, become protected in our society? And I, I really believe our Our Lady of Sorrows can help with that. I think so too. I think so too. And there's nothing more powerful than the Rosary. No, you know, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, it's the most powerful weapon that we have. As as people of faith right. and so Catholics, absolutely. lock and load, as they say, you know. <laughs> and, pray away. Uh, let's pray away. Pray away. Yeah, and that's very important. And we've got a we're going to be talking about a couple of things today too. And we we have to make a schedule adjustment announcement. Yes, if you watch the Facebook post, it we have to make an an update. Yeah, that's right. We had uh, Mike Gonzalez, uh, who was from the Heritage Foundation, was going to speak to us today on uh, the critical race theory. He's going to be with us next week, same time. Uh, and we'll tell you why in a minute. But we're going to have Jonathan Butcher, again, from the Heritage Foundation. When they take somebody away, they usually replace them for us. Uh, And we're going to be talking. He's a senior policy analyst for the Center for Educational Policy at the Heritage Foundation. We're going to talk about what the schools don't want parents to know. And um, He's written some really strong articles about the... um, power of the teachers union right and I'll i and i had them right up on on my little computer here <laughs> and i lost them here yeah, a little scramble here this morning but he will we'll be get here. it together but gonzalez can't make it because of all things and it's, this has been happening more and more often recently this morning at this time he has a meeting at the white house <laughs> now i don't know what lengths they will go through to, to get out of meeting with us apparently the president is the uh alternative for it. But we've had a number uh, already uh, this year of people that have had to 
postpone uh, because they've had something to do with the White House. We've even had um, a a tape, a two-year-old tape that we had to provide to the White House for somebody that was being considered for a position in the administration. And so, yes, I don't well, quite remember any of that going on under the previous administration. No, Our no. show wasn't affected by that White House. <laughs> it, it didn't. But uh, and a lot of this has to do with the Heritage Foundation because we have contacts with the Heritage Foundation for some of our guests. And but not just the Heritage Foundation. Remember last week, Father Pavone, right, hanging Priest up the phone life. with us and running over. Yeah, he had a he had a meeting at the White House to go to afterwards. So we are dealing with, I guess, people that uh, have some influence. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're also going to discuss the um, the churches under the COVID restrictions in each of the states. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. I, I'm really glad to see that the uh, Faith and Freedom Alliance has um, set up a hotline or a division to help churches throughout the United States with these right. issues. Right. Yeah. And, and that'll be our first guest this morning, Robert Tyler, with the uh, he's chief counsel for the Advocates for Faith and Freedom. And he is dealing with several cases there. We're going to talk to him about one. But he's also got this new YouTube thing that he's been putting on that anybody can listen to, where he's been talking about a lot of these issues. And so we'll talk to him about that and see what's going on, because it's it's a mess out there. Some places they're they're fighting you tooth and nail to keep the church closed. Right. right. Well, where's and, that coming from? And the, restric- the restrictions are not parallel with the um, similar organizations, right. secular organizations in the state. Right. So, and so when we say, where is it coming from? Well, you know where it's coming from, you know, <laughs> right. the bowels of you know where. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but uh, that's what we have coming up. And uh, do you have a prayer to open us up with? I do. I do. Let's settle ourselves a little bit with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women, and peace among the nations of this earth. Turn to your way of love those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen Strengthen us in hope, and give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among the nations and in the hearts of all. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Gina. And we're going to take a break, and we will be right back. And when we come back, we'll have Robert Tyler, Chief Counsel for the Advocates for Faith and Freedom, with us. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio in Des Moines. Hi, this is Father John Ricardo, and I want to thank Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory for underwriting Christ is the Answer. Losing a loved one, as we know, is never easy, and it can leave you feeling lost and even hopeless at times. But Caldwell Parish helps ease that burden by sincerely caring both about your loss and about your faith. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory is Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. The number is 515-276-0551 or online at caldwellparish.com. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmentInternational.org. That's BlessmentInternational.org. 
Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at bigredq des Moines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. We make printing easy. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. And you're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. I'm Deacon Mike Mano here with Gina Knoll. And uh, with us by phone is Robert Tyler, who is the Chief Counsel for the Advocates for Faith and Freedom. Robert, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good. Glad to be back again. Yes, yes. We ha- it wasn't that long ago that we had you. It was uh, just a couple of months. But, and we'll keep having you back because of what you do out there. Uh, let's talk, about, first of all, about uh, Godspeak Calvary, Calvary Chapel. Um, you're involved with the church there that the county and the city don't want to allow it to reopen. You want to kind of give us a little bit of the background there? Sure. The focus is on the county. It's not really the city, uh, but uh, basically what's happening at this point in time is uh, they have, uh, I'm not sure exactly what the status was when we last talked, but uh, they got a temporary restraining order against the church from reopening. And uh, Pastor uh, Rob McCoy said, you know, we're going to meet. Uh, we're going to do what God's called us to do because, you know, these are inalienable God-given rights, not something, not, not a right given to us by the government. And we uh, are going to meet. So they did. The county uh, then sought to obtain contempt charges against the pastor. And uh, they did. They got, a, they got a sanction against the church and the pastor for $3,000. Um, thereafter, um, we, they, they basically have sat back and really haven't done much. Uh, the church continues to meet, uh, in defiance of the contempt orders and the, uh, we have a hearing coming up on a motion for preliminary injunction and we're challenging the entire underlying foundation of the governor's authority here in the first place. One, that this, uh, you know, this act upon which he relies is really an unconstitutional law that gives one individual a complete authority over the entire state. This is similar to what's happening in other states as well, where 
I know in Pennsylvania, the governor just got struck down, didn't he, on on doing something similar? Yes. And so uh, we are, you know, hoping to have some success along those lines here in California. So uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll be arguing that in court. And uh, we have, frankly, now we have numerous other cases that we have uh, filed and are in process of filing, uh, challenging uh, the authority of the governor in, in a similar fashion from a, a pastor who has been cited for doing baptisms at the, at the beach to uh, schools who have reopened and said, we're going we're gonna to meet, uh, we've got a right to a Christian education, and we're going to educate our kids. Um, and so we're finding that uh, you know, we just have to proceed. And so many uh, pastors and uh, church leaders are just stepping up saying, enough is enough, we're not going to allow a tyrant to be able to just continue operating without, uh, with basically immunity. Um, let, and, let me ask you this question, just kind of set the stage for our listeners here. What are some of the restrictions like for similar organizations? In other words, uh, um, can bowling alleys open? Uh, roller rinks open? Uh, can uh, uh, Target open? I mean, it, it seems to me that if he wants mm-hmm. to close down everything, that's one thing. But if he's picking and choosing, that's quite another. Well, he's been picking and choosing from the beginning. Um, for example, um, Costco, grocery stores, um, abortion clinics, uh, liquor stores, they are all allowed to open. They're allowed to sell their product. Um, however, uh, you know, the church has to stay closed. Now, other typical assemblies are not necessarily allowed to reopen either. So you're not finding, you know, we're not, the theaters generally are not open. But what, what this governor's done is he's created this, every time we get close to reopening, he recreates the rules and, and he creates a new system of rules. And it makes it just all that more difficult. And and it appears that really what's going on, this is all political. And, and, fr- and frankly, the health director for the county of Los Angeles, one of the biggest counties around, uh, was was caught on, on a hot mic saying, oh, we're not going to reopen until after the election. Now, it seems pretty obvious that what we're dealing with right now is significantly political in nice. nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've so, noticed that, too. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's happening uh, all across the country. And one of the things that we tried to do is uh, we filed a, a lawsuit directly in the California Supreme Court trying to reopen the California schools. And we thought, you know, what happens in California gets exported to the rest of the country. I think most people experience that. Unfortunately, so, yeah, we, we'd like you to keep your senator there, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't, don't, don't want her anywhere near the Oval Office, but go ahead. Yeah, so we do what we can over here. You know, we're, we're battling, realizing that what we do here is going to have a big impact on the rest of the country. And, and if we can get schools reopened, if we can get churches reopened, it's, gonna, it's going to just spread to the rest of the country as well. Um, and we're finding that what's happening now is the California Teachers Association, this union, has the most political influence in the state of California. And they are, they are preventing this uh, the schools from reopening. They want to defund the police as a condition of reopening, and they have all of these demands. They've threatened to go on strike if uh, schools are reopened. And so, you know, the governor uh, kowtowing to uh, the unions is uh, nothing nothing new, frankly, in California. You know, we've had some uh, 
questions about that around here. Should the schools open and, and some of the teachers' unions are saying, no, we should stay home? Uh, but the funny thing is, every time I go to the grocery store, every time I go out to to buy something, what I need, uh, I'm usually waited on by a high school student. <laughs> you know, they check out your groceries yeah. and everything, and yet for some reason it's too dangerous for them to go back to school. Let me tell you how crazy it is here in California. You have, there is a rule in California that says um, stu- uh, schools, and, and mostly these are all private schools that are doing this, um, they can have a... Uh, a classroom open for up to 14 children that can come in and they call it daycare and they can have up to up to two uh, adults supervising the children but the minute they start teaching them it's a violation of the law and and so literally what you have is in in, in many instances these kids you know maybe they're part of a you know, the parents are working, uh, single parents, they need a place to have their kids. So they pay extra for their kids to go to a public school or a private school. And they go in and they're, they're sitting there and they're in one classroom. And immediately next door is a teacher who is doing virtual learning. And that virtual learning is occurring uh, for the student who's in the classroom next door, who's sitting on an iPad and the student, I've heard, you know, this happened multiple times. Why can't I just sit in the other room where my teacher is? <laughs> and instead, there was 14 other kids. And so this is really the power the union has is that they can have this ludicrous rule. And so we're just having to, you know, trying to fight back. And, you know, unfortunately, even the judges are, are afraid to go against um, the governor and afraid about this virus and uh, you know granted it's real i mean i know it's real i just talked to a pastor friend who you know as we all probably have known one or two people who have sure who've had it i have a priest friend that has been uh quarantined for some time uh, because of his age and health and uh, he can't get out and do things yeah i know it's real mm-hmm. yeah but at the same time you know i mean the these rules uh you know what they're what they're putting up is again, they're using it as an opportunity. Yeah. You know, this progressive agenda is using this as an opportunity to recreate rules for voting, uh, recreate rules for going to school, recreate uh, policing. Um, it's just, it's just a tragedy of what's happening. Well, they're so, not going to let a crisis go to waste. Isn't that what, uh, Gene, isn't that what yeah, you said? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Not going to let a crisis go to waste. And so, you know, uh, thank the Lord we have, we have some courageous uh, ministers out there who are saying, um, let's stand up and, and let's fight back. Uh, we need to be in church. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. And, uh, and that's important. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's w- watching mass uh, online, you know, watching communion <laughs> online, it's like watching a campfire on television. Yeah. It's not the same thing. Oh, that's a good analogy. I um, am particularly uh, interested or concerned with the denial of our Supreme Court issuing any injunctions in these situations that are clearly inequitable violations of the church's rights, uh, especially in Nevada with the casinos opened and the churches closed. Mm-hmm. How is that causing problems for you and your defenses for these churches reopening? 
Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, you know, the fact that, you know, the Supreme Court had the opportunity to correct the circumstances. In multiple um, cases, not not just the one in Nevada, but in multiple situations. Yeah, yeah, there was the, there was the one in Nevada where casinos uh, were uh, are treated better because they are allowed to have half of their capacity, whereas a church is, in uh, Nevada was only allowed up to I want uh, up to fifty people indoors, regardless of the size of the church. So you could have a church the same size as a casino, uh, but only fifty people allowed inside, mm-hmm. and uh, and so uh, that's you know, just uh, an outrageous distinction, uh, a violation of equal protection laws, the three exercise provisions. Now, um, that has had a dramatic impact because if the Supreme Court of the United States, and really, let's just, let's be frank, it's, it all comes down to Justice <laughs> one, Roberts. One justice. Right. And, and I don't understand how, how a, what we all believe to be a conservative Catholic man a, a judge who who is going to be on our side would would basically ignore the God-given rights to ignore the Constitution and and something so blatant would would allow this to occur. But I think what's happened is, you know, this fear uh, has has hit a lot of these judges where they're afraid, thinking if I rule in favor of these churches, if I allow. Uh, churches to reopen and meet again, and someone gets sick and dies, uh, man, I might have blood on my hands. And, and I can understand the potential concern over that, but, but it's, not, it's not justified, because people have to make decisions for themselves. We, that's what America is all about. It's about individual liberty and our right to make decisions for ourselves. Right, and we could and, end all traffic accidents by banning cars, too. Uh, absolutely. You know, tell yeah. people you can't drive, but you know, here, uh, this has had a huge impact because a lot of judges uh, will look at that and say, man, here, here's the highest court of the land, and, and if they're afraid, who am I yeah. to, to, to go against uh, the governor's orders in mm-hmm. California? If, you know, we already had one, one case that went up to the California Supreme Court, and um, excuse me, the U.S. Supreme Court, and that case was a little different. It was a challenge to the limitation on the number of people that were allowed uh, indoors, because at the time, indoor worship was being permitted. Actually, the governor uh, backed down after we said, look, we, we had 2,000 pastors uh, sign a, or 1,500, I don't remember, there was, it was a large number of pastors signed the Declaration of Essentiality, saying, we're going to reopen regardless of what happens, regardless of whether the governor allows us to reopen. Well, this and, uh, is this is certainly an area where there's a, a a lot of litigation. But I wanted to to turn the the subject just a little bit to this uh, new, um, I guess, YouTube stuff that you're working on called Ministry Under Fire 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and where our listeners might be able to tune in to these broadcasts that you have. Oh, sure. Um, you know, we have a. Uh, uh, we, we started uh, a YouTube channel, and what we're doing is, uh, right now, we're putting a series on called Ministry Under Fire, and for um, the, first, uh, the first session that we did was uh, a week ago, Wednesday, and uh, we basically addressed the cases and the things that we're working on, the, the numerous cases here in California in particular. Um, 
and what the status are and, and what to look, what we're looking for and what, what, you know, people are interested in, when are we going to be able to reopen? And, you know, I don't have that answer, but I can tell you what we're fighting. And, and so that's on the first one. This last one, we talked about uh, really reopening procedures in California um, and, and elsewhere. It's, it's important for uh, churches and ministries to understand you know, uh, what their rights and responsibilities are uh, when it comes to reopening. Frankly, uh, we are, um, uh, as, while we are litigating and arguing on behalf of churches to be able to reopen and do in-person services, um, there are some responsibilities I think that churches need to recognize, and, and that is the safety of their congregants. And, and so there's some reopening procedures. We talk about that for schools and churches. Um, next week we talk about um, unemployment issues and government funding the following week. And then in addition to that, under ministry under fire, um, that's something that normally what we do is we do for ministry leaders. Uh, we, we were doing it with a seminary um, out here in California and basically putting this on uh, to help educate uh, ministry leaders with regard to legal responsibilities. And, um, now how but do, also on our... I was going to say, how do we find those? How does a listener find those? Well, you can go to um, YouTube and just type in faith faith, excuse me, Advocates for Faith and Freedom, and uh, we'll pop up there. Okay. And can you and can you find it through your webpage, too? I, Faithfreedom.com. I, I hope so. Okay. <laughs> That's a good Well, question. it's very new. It's very yeah, new. Yeah, very new. I'm sure you could. I'm sure it's on our website. If it's not, actually, after we get off this phone call, I will... Uh, talk to our people to make sure it is. I'm sure it is. I'm sure they've already thought of that. Okay, because I, I, I've i seen the first one that you did, and it, 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 it was done good. very well. You, right. Do you see it too? Do you yeah, know? it was yeah. super helpful, and it pointed out a lot of societal things I hadn't right. taken into consideration. And um, that's one one more question on the, on the churches. Uh, you know, we're six months into this uh, coronavirus, and as many states as there are, there's that many restrictions and ways of mm-hmm. restricting um, the, the practice of our faith. How uh, some of them are doing very well and could be held out as um, to say, look, we've been doing it this way and there have been no problems. Um, Are we using those as precedent in some of these cases? Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, it it kind of falls on deaf ears in many instances. They just want to hold on to the power they have and not give in. Yeah. Yeah, and, and even the judges, we point that out, you know, and Godspeak, we brought up in the very beginning, is, is a perfect example. Here's a church that has been, that has been meeting since April in person. Um, they are, um, in that circumstance, Godspeak has not had one instance where uh, coronavirus has spread within the church or someone has been, there's been coronavirus traced back to someone because they went to the church, um, they're aware of nobody in their church having had died because of COVID-19. And so it's one of these things where you say, I, we know it's real. We're not going to say it's not real. No, right. But, but you know, who gets sick and when they get sick is, it's pretty, um, uh, it, it's pretty easy to know who's going to get sick. You know, we all know it's persons with comorbidities and it's persons who are, um, who are elderly and, and they're going to, if they get it, they get real sick. And so those are the individuals that, you know, don't go to church. Well, I'm, I'm, 
the irony of all of the troubles in California, whether it's COVID or the fires or whatever may be um, affecting the, the citizens of the state, you would think that they would want their prayer warriors in their churches fighting in their defense uh, in a spiritual way. That's if they believed in prayer, if well, they believed in all that. There are believers there, and they could fight the, the good fight well, that's for the what citizens they're doing now, of California. Yeah, 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 that's what they're doing now. One last thing before we have to go, Robert. Uh, are they still surveilling Godspeak? Um, I, I, we, I don't know. I haven't heard or seen of anyone there, but I don't think so right now because, quite honestly, um, they the county really kind of got beat up a lot. One of the things that in, in one of the videos that's on a YouTube channel, um, if you go to it, you'll see how I basically laid out the case and showed in our, in the contempt trial, um, I was able to show how the, the spies who came to surveil the church, you know, these code enforcement people themselves were not wearing masks. They were not socially distanced. They were two people from different families sitting in a car, all of these things violating the very rules they are there to enforce. And, and, and I really pointed out the hypocrisy. Well, of yeah. course, you know, did the media pick it up? No. Uh, that's, this is where I would love for, for your folks to be able to go on and take that video. It, it, it's about the hypocrisy. It was done uh, it, uh, probably about one month ago, three weeks to one month ago. And you'll see I'm standing there. There's a, there's a TV in the background um, to my side. And I use that and I show these pictures that we presented at trial. Honestly, the reason why I want that out, I want that to get spread. I want the word to spread about the hypocrisy because if this was really about the health and safety of our community, you wouldn't have the same code enforcement violating the rules that they're supposedly there to enforce. All right. We'll post that right next to the video of Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done. Exactly. <laughs> that's, about exactly. All the, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you very much, Robert, for joining us. We certainly appreciate it. God bless you and your work. And we'll have you back again. Lord bless you both. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We will be right back after these messages. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmentInternational.org. That's BlessmentInternational.org. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Thank you, Big Red Q. Quick Print for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at bigredq-demoin.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. 
We make printing easy. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports on Iowa Catholic Radio is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling graduate, and Dr. Greg Harper. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, ashworthvision.com. 515-440-4610, ashworthvision.com. Ashworth Vision Clinic. High pressure is moving in from the north with cooler air, and that'll keep us in the low 70s today with mostly sunny skies. We'll drop to about 49 overnight and mostly clear, and then tomorrow a little bit cooler, upper 60s and sunny. Looking at the weekend, it could be a little bit breezy Saturday, low 70s, and then 75 Sunday. The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we are back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we're joined right now with Jonathan Butcher, who is the Senior Policy Analyst for the Center for Educational Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Jonathan, thank you for joining us this morning. Great to be with you. Appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you've written uh, about uh, educational policy. Uh, one of the things that I noticed was uh, on your website or on the Heritage website not too long ago uh, was about what uh, schools don't want parents to know. Yeah, I think what we've seen during the pandemic is a, a curious uh, period in U.S. history where Parents have been home with their students, and schools have only been offering content online. And that gives parents a uh, unique window, I would say, into what their children are being taught. Uh, And that's, you know, I think that's almost historically unique, you know, that parents have been able to see directly what their students are being exposed to. And that is kind of interesting. I know there was a a discussion or a story anyway, I think it was out of Kentucky, where the school district was asking parents to sign a promise that they would not view (laughs) what the children were viewing, wouldn't attend the classes with their children online. Yeah, it was out of Tennessee. Tennessee? You know, I think the district can claim that they were trying to protect student privacy um, by saying that people in a home shouldn't be watching what students are doing. But, I mean, that's nonsense. I mean, you know, this is a, pr- a private home. I mean, these are families that want to know, um, especially with younger children, that they're able to follow whatever a district is delivering, you know, through an online platform. And, look, I mean, we haven't even touched yet in um, our discussion now about uh, the types of things that are infiltrating curriculum in uh, in the United States, so there are things that parents should be looking for. Well, and I just I just recently heard a story about um, uh, a book that's being taught. Um, I want to say fourth grade level in a Pennsylvania school, but part of a bigger curriculum called cultural proficiency curriculum. Um, but the book was called uh, "Not My Idea: 
a book about whiteness that teaches that um, complaining about protesters um, is is racism and or supporting your local police makes you a racist. Yeah, and it, it's examples like that that are coming out of the Black Lives Matter movement. And that movement has, in fact, created a whole package of materials and put it online, made it available to teachers, and is saying that teachers should be using materials like the one you just named, or I found a, uh, a first grade, a textbook for first grade math teachers that was talking about how white supremacy is a part of American currency. I mean, that's, you know, it's a pretty heady topic, I think, for a college student, but to use that in first grade, um, it makes you wonder how much nuance or, uh, you know, thorough description that it would really get. Uh, I'm flabbergasted that this stuff is creeping into our um, curriculum. You know, the 1619 Project, I guess, is uh, in the northeast portion of the United States. There's quite a few schools that have already adopted uh, that that retelling of American history. Well, and and that is, you know, equally if not more concerning. The 1619 Project, um, as you know, many of your listeners may know, is a project from the New York Times Magazine supported by the Pulitzer Center that tries to reframe American history around the idea that slavery is the center of everything that's happened. And uh, it is full of factual errors. And it's what's been fascinating to watch is that award-winning historians, I mean, people that have written some of the foundational historical works about the American Revolution, the Civil War, and slavery itself, uh, have pointed to factual errors. And uh, the New York Times has refused to make substantive correction. Uh, there's one uh, one essay in that project in particular that is just egregiously wrong in its description of the American economy and uh, what slavery meant to uh, GDP uh, in the 19th century. And uh, it it there there are some serious factual problems, not to mention the overarching ideological message. Yeah, uh, one of the problems with that I noticed right away was that uh, supposedly we declared our independence from Great Britain because Britain was going to abolish slavery. Well, and that, of course, uh, cannot be supported. Um, You know, Britain at the time had some court cases related to um, uh, the freeing of slaves, but Britain wouldn't do that until the 19th century. And um, uh, in fact, there were incidents where Britain was encouraging slaves to come fight for them, um, but one of the uh, military leaders who encouraged that actually uh, was a part of the slave uh, trade in uh, in the Caribbean, or a part of, of uh, keeping slaves in the Caribbean. So, you know, this I think it was more opportunistic um, there. Uh, th- there is no evidence to support the idea that maintaining slavery was such a necessity for the colonists because newspapers weren't reporting that Britain was looking to take away slaves. Um, It wasn't, you know, this, the conversation really among the founders at the time, uh, really from 1776 until the Civil War, it was a constant debate over how to prevent slavery spread. And in the northern states that eventually did outlaw slavery, um, they, you know, preceded the eventual, you know, emancipation. Now, in all of this, with the indoctrination and all this in the school, what roles are the teachers' unions playing? 
Well, the teacher unions uh, do support the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, they have pages on their websites. Um, uh, the NEA, I know for uh, for certain, um, and they, you know, I, I think that they are are certainly sympathetic to some of these progressive ideologies because, you know, they, uh, you know, they feel like they align with this idea that there's a constant battle between the workers and their employers, right? I mean, I think that unions kind of function with that mindset, right? That they are there to uh, be a part of a struggle for, you know, worker rights. And the reality today is that uh, workers, especially um, uh, in schools, I think, have more freedom and have more say today over where they work, how, you know, what their conditions are than ever before. Exactly. I think it's long been known that, um, uh, that this is not the 1940s, 50s, 60s, right, even 70s, uh, and, and things have, have really changed. Um, I think the, the most concerning thing I would suggest out of what's happening now uh, from teacher unions is their attempts to keep schools closed with demands that have, because of demands that have nothing to do with education. So, you know, there are local chapters demanding defunding of the police, the repayment of mortgages or the forgiveness of, you know, mortgage loans or rents for people affected by the pandemic, which I think includes all of us, uh, you know, th- things like that, right? Don't, don't, don't comport with the idea that we should be talking about what's best for students. Well, the sh- most shocking thing for me with the teachers' unions and their demands, uh, in some areas they're um, demanding that the private schools, the parochial schools, the charter schools shut down. If the public schools aren't open, they should not allow any schools to be open. How much power yeah, do they think they have? Well, and absolutely. And this, you know, it, it's in line with what they've done in the past to file lawsuits to block any form of parent choice in education. You know, so I think that they um, are, are, are clearly have, um, you know, only in mind the idea that students should be assigned to a public school. Overall, how does this help or hurt the, the child that's sitting in the classroom or in front of his computer, as it may be? Well, I think that um, long-term virtual education for parents who have not chosen that, that uh, instructional technique uh, can be harmful to students, right? There are full-time virtual schools that do it very well and have been successful uh, for many years. But parents choose those schools, right? I mean, parents have a reason. A child may be homebound. Um, a child may be an athlete who travels all the time to, you know, play their sport, tennis, golf, what have you. Um, a, a parent may not feel safe in a local school and so chooses to have their child learn on, at home. That's different from saying, okay, all schools are closed for in-person learning. Everyone must learn online right now. And that puts families who don't think it's best for their children in a, in a very vulnerable position because they have few options uh, available to them. I'll say um, yesterday I uh, was looking at a, a story out of Detroit that found that a teacher logged in for the first day of school. Uh, she was expecting 14 of her students to be logged in there with her and ready to go, and only one student showed up, mm-hmm. and that student's um, headphones didn't work. <laughs> so it was a, uh, you know, an not an epic fail. For, what, yeah, my children might say start. that was an epic fail. And and we're seeing that all all throughout. I know some of the um, anecdotally, my kids' students. I had a conversation after the uh, March shutdown, 
Um, and he said as the school, maybe the first couple of classes he had all of his kids, but then by the end of the semester, he was, they weren't even emailing him back. So um, it, it's it's very difficult for kids who have traditionally been taught in a classroom to, to go through this. And my heart aches for them because really they're being forced to do something that they're not, they have not been equipped or learned to do. Well, and we certainly want students to be safe, right? I mean, we want students exactly. in, in schools to only open, you know, when the community and when the, the teachers have decided, uh, you know, parents, teachers, educators, health professionals have said, look, our case rate is such that, you know, we feel like we can get kids back. Um, but all of that being said, um, you know, if if there is no option for in-person learning at all, um, it again, it really limits um, what families are able to do. Um, and, you know, like you were saying, some of these closures have been, or some of these uh, uh, district online system crashes have been widespread. I mean, the entire state of North Carolina was having trouble at the beginning of this school year just a few weeks ago. Uh, Hartford, Connecticut, Houston, Philadelphia, I mean, pretty major cities were demonstrating that traditional school districts are simply not able to uh, come up with an ad hoc system delivering online content and you know they should have recognized that over the spring and and made adjustments accordingly right I think um, also we're seeing that the teacher the teachers union for me in many cases represents the what what we can't do and what we won't do and on the other side they're 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 battling what we can do and what we will do and the and the creativity to deliver the services to our families and our students well, for certain, especially as we've watched parents create uh, pandemic pods or learning pods, these small groups of families getting together and, uh, you know, usually neighborhood kids in small groups to either follow the district's online platform and make sure it's going well or coming up with their own curriculum to, um, to educate students while schools are closed. I mean, this is, talk about an ideal civil society response to a public system failure. Um, you know, this is the kind of thing I think that um, that we should be proud of. I mean, we should be proud that parents are taking matters into their own hands and not waiting for districts to solve every problem for them. Well, and even some teachers, our last guest described a situation where in California they're not allowed to uh, participate in school. So they have these things called daycares, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, not allowed to participate in school in the building in person so they have these daycares with 14 students in a room and the teachers on the other side of the wall with her computer teaching the kids in the room on the other side electronically because that's what the you know there there is a lot of creativity and ingenuity and in, in following the guidelines as they're directed from from above yeah uh that brings me to probably uh, jonathan question that may be a little unfair to you but uh, i'm going to ask it anyway okay um as we are looking uh, at education these days and putting things under the microscope as uh, as is being done now, what changes in education and in educational policy do you see coming out of this in the future? Again, it's probably an unfair question for you, but uh, do your best. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, it's, it is a good question because I think there are important lessons that we've learned. I would say for one, Lawmakers can create private learning options, no, even in the most difficult of circumstances. So um, North New Hampshire, uh, South Carolina, Oklahoma, the governors in those states cr- 
created private scholarship options using federal money that had already been appropriated to their state um, in over the summer uh, to go into uh, go into effect this fall. So that's evidence that where there's a will, right, there's a way. And if lawmakers really want to create more options for families, they could do so, uh, and they can do it with some flexibility over what Washington is uh, is affording them through spending. Uh, I would say for two we should be prepared for parents to take matters into their own hands. What we're seeing from some of the largest districts in the U.S. is that the first day of school had markedly lower attendance from uh, students. So enrollment was not the same uh, on the first day of school in places like Mesa uh, in Arizona, um, even in Los Angeles, um, down in Broward County when students were told to log in. So, you know, there, there's an example here that, that parent preferences will shift if schools don't, you know, if schools go against what, uh, uh, what their opinions are on what is best for their children. So I, I think the practical application of that point is that when we see teacher union school closures in the future, when they go on strike uh, to close schools, um, I think parents don't have to wait anymore for the school to reopen. I think they should be prepared to take their student somewhere else. I think they can be reminded by policymakers that, you know, listen, if, if a, a teacher union is going to go on strike and close your school, remember during the pandemic, parents formed learning pods, we, um, uh, we looked for private school scholarships, we took advantage of education savings accounts in states like North Carolina, uh, Arizona, Florida. Arizona in particular has had a um, significant increase in the number of applications for education savings accounts. So, you know, all of these, I think, bode well for the future. Very good. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we're pretty much out of time right now, but uh, if anybody wants to read anything more about what you've written, they can go to the heritage.org website and find you. Jonathan, thank you, Robert. Thank you. Jonathan. Thank you for being with us. We certainly appreciate it, and God bless you and your work, and uh, we will probably have you back one of these days. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We will be right back after these messages. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports on Iowa Catholic Radio is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling graduate, and Dr. Greg Harper. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, ashworthvision.com. 515-440-4610, ashworthvision.com. Ashworth Vision Clinic. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. 
Skeffington.com. Thank you, Skeffington's Formal Wear, for sponsoring Dowling Catholic High School football. In business since 1951, Skeffington's Formal Wear offers quality service, style, and selection, providing tuxedos, suits, and casual groom attire for weddings, proms, and any other special occasion. Skeffington's Formal Wear, with convenient locations in Des Moines, West Des Moines, Davenport, Coralville, and Ankeny. All locations are family-owned and operated by members in their respective communities, fitting you for life celebrations, online at skeffingtons.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother Knights to keep standing for their faith. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Storm Alert Weather is provided by Divine Treasures. Divine Treasures is a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. Their mission is to help Catholics know, love, and keep their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Divine Treasures is where you can find great Catholic books, beautiful Bibles, rosaries, jewelry, statues, and religious gifts for those memorable events in your life. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines, 515-255-5230. Thank you to Divine Treasures for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on our Catholic Radio. Gina, a couple of great guests we did. Today. We did have some good guests. Yes. I, I am, well, we always have good guests. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. We do. We really do. Yeah. But the stories from around the country about the effects of COVID and the restrictions on our churches, they're very varied in there, but the outcome is the same. People are being denied their opportunity to mm-hmm. practice their faith, and it makes me mad, and, and, and I... I pray for those families. Uh, you know, I think here in Iowa, we're we're doing a little bit better than some, and we can go to our services um, without a lot of without surveillance by mm-hmm. government authorities. Oh, I can't imagine. That doesn't even sound like the United States to me. No, it's like uh, the Gestapo sitting outside uh, in a car watching everybody going to church. Yeah. And where was it? One place they asked uh, the pastor to provide them with the names and addresses and phone numbers of, of everyone all the that, people attended, that attended and emails, them. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, that's not the United States. I am glad to see that the advocates for faith and freedom are addressing that issue oh, and providing guys. pastors yeah. and and um, communities, faith communities, opportunities. They're, they're they're out there in it. California and and they're pretty scrappy out there with what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, they are doing. And and of course we have a good friend Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute out there doing a lot of the also, same stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to be scrappy out there because the forces against you are pretty hefty. Well, and it doesn't sound like there's much reason going on. It, it's it's more trigger trigger happy control issues. Anyway, never let a crisis go to waste. <laughs> So anyway, that was that was interesting. Always interesting to hear the progress of a lot of those cases, um, and then the teachers' union and the curriculum changes coming down through the pikes and the. And I don't know if these have always been issues or because of the pandemic we have they've surfaced, bubbled to the top, and we're more n- noticing them more. We're more in tune. The parents are more connected with the curriculum of their students. Well, that's good that they're seeing well, more. Uh, that's going on right now and uh, remember at the one of the shows we had right when we came back on the air uh had to do with uh, a school district was it in madison where they were telling the kids oh. don't 
tell your parents. Don't this. tell your yeah, parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll keep this between you and yeah, me. Yeah, if you if you want to uh, come here and dress as a girl, you can do that, and we'll call you she. And uh, but don't tell your parents when you go home that you're a she here and a he there. Yeah. Exactly. It makes me remember that my paradigm and the paradigm I was raised with is that as a parent, you are the primary educator and the teacher and the schools is in partnership with you. That's right. And I think we've lost that. I think so. Well, let's end with our prayer. Uh, St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. That's it for this week. For Gene and myself, thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Until then, have a blessed and peaceful week. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial, Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients.